good to be with you guys uh, this morning. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's good to have uh, Jeff and Indra. I, I just want to say that partnership, we, we appreciate you guys. Uh, yeah, we can clap for that. It's Jesus in them that we're clapping for, and so we, we do appreciate your ministry here among us and how you lead and serve, and, and we are, we're thankful for that. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, every once in a while when uh, Jeff is doing something, one of his other talents and gifts, it, it's, it's uh, sort of makes you a little jealous to have a guy in your life that can do almost anything. He can, he can do some worship, he can renovate some houses, he can preach and teach, and uh, not that anybody's jealous up here, no, no, but we, we, we do appreciate you guys. Um, you know, throughout history, God has met people where they are. It's, uh, it's just what God does. He steps into the loneliness, into the emptiness, he steps into the brokenness, into the sin, into the grief, into the, even the joy. And he shows up. And, and I think in this room this morning, I know in this room this morning, there is all types of different flesh struggles going on. Uh, th- there are good walks with Jesus in here that's happening. But, but lately maybe uh, spiritual warfare has been raging. We, we got tired people in this room. That, that maybe your efforts recently, uh, you're not seeing the fruit. You're seeing... Unseen fruit, maybe. There's some in here that maybe be in a season of your life where uh, you, your prayers are just hitting, hitting the ceiling. And you feel like, does God even listen? Does He even care at all? Some in here may be upset at God. Maybe blaming Him for something that has happened or something that hasn't happened. And others may be in this room thinking, Jesus is just a crutch for weak people. And that's where we come from. And and, and there's a million other places that we probably come from in this room. Every week when we gather here at Partnership. And that endless, those endless thoughts and those endless uh, opinions and attitudes that we come into this room. I I was thinking about what I was, how how do you speak to that? And so... uh, I think it's probably best we start with prayer. We're just going to take a second, breathe deep, and talk to God. God, we pause for just a minute before we start and walk through some text here. You know everything that's going on in this room, you know every battle. You know every victory. You know the places that we are at. So God, we thank you for your knowledge. But God, you you not only know, you also know what each of us need. And I know in my life throughout the years, you have met need after need after need. I thank you. And so, Holy Spirit, speak. Jesus, make your name known. In your name. Amen. I'm excited this morning. We're going to talk about a guy by the name of Simon Peter. He was a guy who was changed by Jesus. 
And then he had a few things to say to us. And we're going to look at a couple of his uh, places where he talked to us and to the first century church. It's in, he wrote two books of the New Testament, First and Second Peter. And we're going to look a little bit this morning at those introductory lines in those two books. Um, you know, a lot of Bible readers like Peter. I like him. I mean, he was a regular guy. He was a guy that literally had Jesus show up in his life. But he asked random questions at times. He stated the obvious at times. And he wasn't the the smartest or or quickest learner at times. Three times, he denied even knowing Jesus. Once, Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan. It can't be good if Jesus is calling you Satan, right? That's not a good thing. He acted impulsively. Right When they come to arrest Jesus, the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, it was Peter who pulled his sword from his sheath and cut off one of the guards' ears. That's pretty impulsive. I mean, I've done some impulsive stuff, but that's pretty impulsive. He, he needed affirmation. In Luke 18, a rich young guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I do? What, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus, knowing the guy's heart, he said, Okay, well, just sell everything you have and give it away. Well, Peter heard that. And a little bit later in Luke 18, Peter, seeking affirmation, comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, uh, you know we've left everything and followed you, right? You've noticed that. He compared himself to other people. In John chapter 21, Jesus tells Peter, he says, Peter, this is how you're going to die. Your following me is going to lead you to your death. And Peter looks around, he sees one of the other disciples, and he says, Lord, how about him? And Peter says, or or Jesus says, don't compare yourself. You don't worry about him. You follow me. Peter had a big faith, but it didn't always think things through. One time, some of the disciples with Peter were in a boat, right? And Jesus comes walking to them on the water. And Peter says, hey, Lord, I think it would be a good idea if I came out there with you. And Jesus says, come on. Peter climbs out of the boat and immediately begins to sink. Right? And that's where we get this painting, The Hand of God, written or painted by this Korean. That's Peter's perspective of a lot throughout his life. Pulled out of the waters by Jesus. Anybody? Anybody? Don't be ashamed of it. Brother and sister, if Jesus has pulled you out of the water, give him credit. And, and, and that was Peter's life. That was his perspective a lot of the times. Peter wasn't perfect. But he did get the important stuff, right? It was... When Jesus asked his disciples, hey guys, who do you say I am? It was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it was that confession that the church of Jesus was founded on. And I love Peter's initial call in Luke chapter 5. It says, and when he had finished speaking, this is Jesus speaking, he said to Simon, and by the way, in the Bible, Simon has three names. He'll be called Simon. That was his Greek mama given name. He's going to be called Simeon sometimes. That was the Hebrew transliteration of it. And then sometimes he's called Peter. That was his Aramaic name, Cephas, that Jesus gave to him. So that's, don't let that confuse you. But anyway, 
I guess that's the, the benefit of living in a different culture, or, you know, all these different um, uh, ethnicities and stuff. You get three names. But anyway, so, so, so this is what Jesus tells him. He says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their net boats to land, they left everything and followed him. At the greatness of Jesus, Peter humbly admits, Lord, you're perfect, and I'm a sinner. I need you. Mark Clark, in the book Problem with Jesus, it says in there that in every generation, country, and tragically in many of our churches, there is always one problem with Jesus. And here it is. The Jesus of the Bible is ignored. You know, and I, and I think about Peter. Man, he had all kinds of reasons to ignore Jesus. He had all kinds of excuses. I'm not good enough. I've gone too far. Uh, I've denied even knowing you as my friend. But you know what? I think usually our excuses, what they are, they are a cover for us. So that we can stay in control. You know, we, I like comfortable, you know. I mean, we like to keep things in control. We like to keep things comfortable. And giving up control is scary, right? And it can be a scary thing to do that. But, but, but if you look at Peter's life, it seemed like what he feared the most was not letting Jesus call the shots for his life, what he feared more than that was regretting that he never went all in with Jesus. Don't live life regretting that you never go all in. I, get, I know there's people in this room that live with that regret. And you're just right on the, the cusp of just taking that next plunge. Don't live life regretting that you never go all in. Because here's the deal. If you believe, if you believe in the resurrected Jesus that we talked about on Easter, if you believe, act on it. Act on that belief. Rich Mullins, the old song, Screen Door, as useless as a screen door on a submarine, faith without works. Right? Peter acted on his faith. He believed Jesus and he acted. And so we read this about Peter in Acts 14, 13. Now when they, the they there is a council that had met because they didn't like the spread of Christianity. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And then I think 
Paul may have had Peter in mind when he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So I don't know. I don't know where you're at with Jesus this morning. Many things going on in this room. But Peter's life should encourage us regular people, regular sinners and doubters. That his life should encourage us that we are never too far gone. Never. God can use us, though we are not the smartest people in the room, He can use us regardless of the things we've done in the past, and even if that past was really recent. And when He uses us, we don't take any of the credit. Because that's the the whole purpose, you see, of Him using broken people. Because broken people have nothing to boast about. Nothing. And that was Peter's life. And that's why so many like Peter. That's why I like Peter. When I read the Bible, I'm like, I hope some Peter's in here. Because I identify. Doubter. Sinner. Coward. On and on we could go. And through the centuries of the church, Peter stands and says... Jesus can pull you out. And it's in the intros of Peter's book that Peter describes himself. 1 Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. You see, Peter knew his who and his why. A servant and an apostle. Peter's in imperfections didn't define him some people in this room are allowing your imperfections to define you over and over and over again and Peter it was his identity in Jesus was his definition and our our society has many ideas about identity and about um, meaning and purpose it says it's in relationships right And of course we love our families. I love my family. But none of those relationships in my family are meant to be my reason for living. And we enjoy friends. But we don't allow our friends and our relationship with our friends to to be what affirms us. What happens when they quit liking us? We're done, right? I mean, and then the, and society says, well, it's your vocation, it's your job, it, it's your talents, your abilities. What happens when you can't do those things anymore? That's sort of discouraging. It says humanism. That's the way to find it. It says the key is within you. Follow your feelings. Anybody in here had a real big flop in your past because you followed your feeling? Yeah. Okay. Thanks for being honest. And by the way, this uh, psychological humanism, 
That's the birth of this gender identity dysphoria that our society's in. And I'm sure you're probably going to talk a little bit about that tonight and engage the culture. It's when how you feel is over who you are. Religion. Church is guilty of this one. This is where you find your... Religion. Religion says, go to church, be a nice and good moral person, and God will like you. Hmm. Busyism. Now, some of these words I made up. Okay? But, but busyism says, keep busy. Stay occupied so you don't have to think about life's big questions. Retailism. That's another one I probably made up. But says, just buy more stuff and happiness will, will come. Escapism says, just calm down, smoke some good stuff, and all your problems will go away. Comparison, it says, oh, just, you know, just be better than the other person. And then we start looking around, man, I'm not, these people are good. And we compare, we're like, man, I, I can't compete with these people. We're crushed, right, when everyone else's life appears better. And all these things that we seek identity and purpose and meaning from, they, they just crush us. And at best, they offer temporary, just temporary refuge and no identity and meaning and purpose. I'm tired of seeing people like that. I spent a lot of my time like that. The kids aren't in here. That's stupid. And maybe the kids should be in here. We need to tell them that's a stupid way to live. Your identity is from your maker. Yeah. I get fired up. Peter says, I'm a servant. A servant. It's one who had served their required years of service and they were free to go. He, he was free to go. But they chose to stay because they had been treated so good and faithful. We can run fast and we can run far from Jesus. But when we get done running, there he is. He's waiting. He never gives up. Though we give him many reasons to give up, he never quits on us. And that's the quality of Jesus, you see, that begs worship. That one quality alone of Jesus begs worship from my life. He's worthy. In the Old Testament, I love Nehemiah. Come on, don't be so fast. I love Nehemiah chapter 9. Okay. Because it recounts how good and faithful God had been to the Israelites when they were in the wilderness after they left Egypt. For 40 years, right, they wandered around like wanderers in the wilderness. And Nehemiah 9 recounts the good and the faithful God. In verse 21, it says in Nehemiah 9 that their clothes never wore out while they wandered in the wilderness. It even says that their feet didn't swell. I mean, that's pretty important, right? I mean, if you're on a 40-year hike, you don't want your feet swelling. And then you go down to verse 33 in Nehemiah 9 and it says, Yet you, the you there's God, yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. You have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. That's a good comparison analysis of God and people. God faithful, people wicked. 
You feel that? I hope you feel that in the room this morning. God is faithful. When we sang that song earlier, I, I couldn't do anything but cry. And don't judge me. Jesus wept, right? God is faithful. When I look back over my life and the things I've served instead of Jesus, it's ridiculous. Those things I've given my time and thoughts to would walk out on me in a second, and they have. But Jesus, it's fittingly said of Jesus in Revelation 1.5, He is the faithful witness. And Peter had experienced the faithful witness in his life. And so he said, the best thing I can do in my life is serve him. I'm a servant. And everything in Peter's life fell second after that. His priority was to serve Jesus. And of course, he didn't do it perfectly. If you're waiting to serve Jesus until you get things all better and all worked out in your life, you're never going to do anything. You see, making Jesus priority and perfection, that's two different things. Priority and perfection are two different things. When, you're, when you've encountered Jesus and you know he's the real deal, when you know he's the real deal and you've encountered him, everything in your life flows out of that knowledge. That's priority. You see, perfection is for law keepers. And there's none of you good at it. Me included. And I've been there. And I've tried to do that. And at times in my life, I still try to do that. And you know what it is? It's exhausting. It makes me not like Jesus. It's no way to be. It's no way to serve. You see, you see when, we, when we get that no matter how hard we try, we can't make him love us anymore. When we get that, when we get that straight, our serving becomes fresher. Our serving becomes cleaner. And we understand, you see, we don't deserve what he's done for us. And we can't repay him. And we don't earn his goodness. All we do is serve him. Peter says, I'm also an apostle. Apostle means sent out. That's all it means. It's sent one. Now for Peter, it meant a little bit more, more but we're not going to get into that. I don't have time. But, but before Jesus, you, so, you see, I think... Peter would have started these letters a little bit differently. I think he may have written something like, Peter, a husband, dad, and a fisherman. You know, but he was still all those things after he met Jesus. But now Jesus was more. And Jesus even said, you know what? I'm going to help you be better at the things that you were and you did before you met me. That's how Jesus works. That's how disruptive Jesus is. And sometimes I'm like, Jesus, do you have to be so disruptive? I mean, do you have to come in and want everything? I mean, can I keep this over here? Can I, can I just keep this one over here? You know, and, and can I do it this way over here the way I want to do it? And Jesus says, no. I want everything. I want your past. I want your plans for the future. I want your securities. I want your comfort. I want your worldview. I want the way you see other people. I want the way you treat other people. I want your role as employee. I want your role as parent, as spouse, as kid. I even want your thoughts and attitudes. I want everything. 
And in the church, there's a churchy phrase for that. It's called the lordship of Jesus over your entire life. And you know what? Just like a lot of church phrases, they're easier said than done, right? I mean, I can sing all day in this room about the rule of Jesus over my life. But out there, when people frustrate me, when discouragement in life comes at me, when temptation beats the door down, it's in those moments we need Jesus to pull us out of the waters. You see, lordship of Jesus is like this. It's a lot of humbling ourselves. It's a lot of admitting our wrong. It's repenting and leaning in on him for the way forward. You see, and that was Peter. An imperfect sent servant. And I think that's why so many of us say Peter's my favorite disciple. Then we come to a couple to those statements that Peter gives to us. We're going to look at the one in 2 Peter. For everybody, everybody okay? It's getting real quiet in here. I'm getting a little scared. Okay, okay. Don't, don't say that. Don't say that. Uh, yeah, 2 Peter, a couple to those statements. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Underscore, highlight, asterisk, boom, boom, all of that stuff in this one. Because our faith in Jesus, Peter says, is not inferior to his. Astounding. It's equal to his. Our faith is equal to Peter's because it's in the same Jesus. Peter's faith wasn't in the religious institution. It wasn't in the powerful Roman Empire. It wasn't in the ideologies of the day. And there were many. I like Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 2, he sarcastically asked this question. He says, in your time of trouble, where are the gods you have made for yourself? Think about that. I was thinking, man, you've done some dumb stuff, Greg. You, you, you have followed stuff that you've made up and followed stuff, stuff that you, you, just yourself. How, how, it, it's foolish. It's pride. It's arrogance. And, and it's also poor planning to do that. Really, it's poor planning to follow ourselves and trust ourselves, right? I mean, because death's going to come one day. I mean, and then what? I, I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to face death in my own power and strength. How? I'm dead, right? I mean, when, when death comes, I want to go into death with someone eternal. You ever think about it? Death, sort of morbid, I know, but Ecclesiastes says that it's better to go to a funeral than to a feast. That sounds weird, but what he's doing there, he's encouraging us to think about forever once in a while. Because out here in this crazy stuff, we don't ever do that. I mean, I, I'm, I've got kids, I've got 15,000 kids, I've got work, I've got this, I've got that. I don't have 15,000 kids, I've got three. But you feel that way, right? And you don't think about stuff that matters for eternal things when you get busy. I had a friend a few years back who died at an early age. He battled alcohol and it 
eventually took his life. Once he shared with me how he regretted that he didn't teach his kids about the stuff that will last forever. He said, I taught them to throw a football, to catch a baseball, to shoot a basketball. He said, but I never taught them that they are eternal souls that will live in eternity forever one day. I had another friend who a few years ago, his grandmother was dying back in Japan. And he bought a ticket and flew there on the weekend to spend a few hours with her before she, she passed. And I asked him how that visit went when he got back. And he said it was good. He said, I got there before she died and I was able to see her one last time. And he said, before I left the room with her, I was able to tell her, Grandma, if you see Jesus after you die, you follow him because he's good. One of the best visions I think there is of eternity or heaven is in Revelation 4. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. These 24 elders here in this passage, they rep represent all of God's people in heaven. That's me, that's you, and it's even Peter there. And that action is saying what they do is they take their crowns. We're going to take our crowns of righteousness that says you are right with God. We're going to take those crowns there and we're going to lay them at the feet of the one who is worthy. We're going to lay them at the feet of the one who got us there. That's what that action says there. You're the reason we're there and you are worthy. You see, Peter's faith trusted that God and Jesus satisfied his need of forgiveness. And that God through Jesus was his way to heaven. And so what that worthiness of Jesus drove Peter's life here on earth as he lived out his faith. And so it's true of our faith as well. It's no different. The same worthy Jesus is the one who makes us right with God. And he's why we get to heaven. And he is also worth spending our days living for him in this place. What are we living for? We have the same faith in Jesus as that same, as the, as the apostolic Peter did. Now there's another to those statement and then we're going to wrap this thing up. But First Peter 1. It says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctif sanctification of the Spirit for obedience in Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. There's a lot in there. And we're going to break it down word for word. No. We're going we're to look at two pieces of it. Okay, We're going to first look at this word elect. He says we are elect exiles. Now, I don't want to get wrapped around the axle here with this word elect because what the church does and some other people, they want to put us in two camps, right? You're either a Calvinist, a predestination when it comes to this word elect, or you're Arminian, you're a free will choice guy, person. And you either see salvation from God's perspective, that's election, or you see it from man's perspective, and that's free will. But you know what? We don't need to join either of those camps. We just need to believe what the Bible says. And the Bible says that you are both. 
You are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And the Bible says that you have free choice. That it's to all who receive and accept Jesus, God gives the right to become God's child. That's John 1. So the Christian is chosen before the foundation of the world. And the Christian chooses Jesus, him or herself. Mystery? A little mystified? Yeah. That's okay. You see, because much of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and relating to them is a mystery. I mean, you really think you're going to figure God out? I mean, my little limited brain, and it's very limited, uh, our little finite little world here, you're going to figure out an infinite God? If you're going to walk with Jesus, you better get used and comfortable to mystery. Because there's a lot of it. And those people who say, I'm going to get to heaven and ask all these questions. No, you're not. You're going to get to heaven you're going to be like, whoa. Whoa. That's what you're going to do. And you're going to worship. Because he's worthy. All right? By the way, you don't have to really understand everything about someone to trust and love them. Okay? You married folks, you understand your spouse entirely, right? Then he says this. He says to those exiles of the dispersion. That's the dispersed or spread out people. Exile is to be away from home. You know, some of Peter's first readers, they they were acquainted with that, uh, being exiled. It was their people in the Old Testament that were exiled. Here in the first century, they were scattered and under the rule of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was the world's superpower of the day. They had the best economy. I mean, they had the best military. But they were also in the process of self-destructing. The Roman Empire was large. And it was made up of a lot of different ethnicities and cultures and backgrounds. And they were a melting pot. And because of all those people and different ideologies, it was also, it brewed conflict all the time. And right in the middle of all that is this new movement of Christianity. And so the Roman Empire looked to the Christians and said, You're too exclusive. You threaten the social order of things. You won't honor all deities and ideologies. And so the Christians had external pressures on them. And they were being squeezed by a godless society who loved self and pleasure and who wanted no one to tell them what to do with their lives or their bodies. Sound familiar? Welcome. Right? We are exiles in this place while we look for a city whose builder is God. That's what we are. And I like the Bible because of that. I like the Bible. If you don't like the Bible, you don't like honesty because the Bible is honesty. The Bible doesn't say you go all in with Jesus and your life is just going to work so smooth. No, that's the prosperity gospel and that's a sham. Right? The Bible says living for Jesus now or 2,000 years ago is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, especially in a world where everybody seems to make up their own truth. Right? I like what Isaiah writes, and he, he gets it so right. He says, Truth has stumbled in the streets. It's like a drunk man stumbling in the streets, truth today. And it's heating up, right? You can feel it. But I want to remind you of this it's no surprise to God. 
It's not like God is sitting in heaven saying, oh my, have you seen what's going on down there in the U.S., especially in California? Have you seen this? No. But even though we know he knows, we are tempted, you see, to live in our own power and wisdom in this place. And when we do that, we're going to mess a lot of stuff up living in our own wisdom and power in this place. We're not going to get it right. Because here's what's going to happen when we try to do it in our own power. We're either going to get so depressed when we look around us that we're never going to leave our house. Or when we do leave our house, we're never going to engage anyone because we're going to see everybody out there as minions of the devil. And, but I never get the idea from the Bible that people are our enemy. The idea I get from the Bible is that Satan is our enemy. And so I think we have to be very careful to not get so ticked at our godless society that we hate everybody that doesn't agree with us. As we mentioned, Peter's first readers had a history of their people, the Old Testament Jews, being in exile, taken away from their land. Once in the Old Testament, they were driven out of Jerusalem to go live in Babylon. Now, you want to talk about somebody who knew how to do wicked? The Babylonians knew how to do wicked. The only thing that we have on the Babylonians is that we're a little bit better at spreading godlessness because of the internet and social media stuff. But the Old Testament book, Jeremiah, this is what it tells. God gives them instructions as they were going to live exiled in wicked Babylon. Here's how they were to live. Now, this might be a little surprising. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem. Purposeful, by the way. Even darkness has purpose, I guess. But anyway, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here, what, here's how he says to live here. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, there's an interesting story in the Old Testament in the middle of when they were exiled in Babylon. It's, the, it's where the three guys were th thrown into the fiery furnace. Remember Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? It was, uh, you know, they were, they were thrown into the fiery furnace while they were in Babylon because they wouldn't bow to King Nebuchadnezzar's image, right? And so, but King Nebuchadnezzar has them thrown into the furnace, and he's starting around, he's thinking a little bit, and he says, uh, I wonder what's going on in that furnace, he was such a sicko, he wanted to watch, witness their execution. And so he has some of the guards come, open that furnace door. And let's see what's going on in there. And here's what, we, here's what he saw in Daniel chapter 3. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And then flipping over to the last book of the New Testament, Revelation. And by the way, Revelation, the purpose of the book of Revelation is not to scare the heebie-jeebies out of you. <laughs> That's not the purpose of it. The purpose of the book of Revelation is to describe Jesus. So that when we see him, we will say, you're worthy, I worship. Revelation 1 describes Jesus this way. 
And in the midst of the lamp stands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Maybe his feet are refined as if they've been in a furnace because they have been. Because when God's people are in exile, in wicked places, he's with them. Jesus is with them. I'm not sure how to best live as an exile in this place. I think it begins, though, by understanding our identity as servants who are sent out. And we are sent out in this world not with a vendetta to get back ground for King Jesus. And we are sent out not to be crusaders, but we are called salt and light. Jesus says we are to be people who live and work and make good contributions to our society, who pray for our country, who first serve and then talk. Now, I know that's hard. And it's only going to get more difficult. But here's the thing that I'm certain about. Jesus is with us in the fire. And for 100%, if we listen, he will lead us. I believe that. So we're going to wrap up with communion. If you don't have the cup and the bread, it was back there on the table as you walked in. There will be people handing that around and giving that out. Uh, We do this each Lord's Day at partnership. It's just simply a time for us to think about Jesus and remember Him. And this morning during our time, I want us to recognize the partnership that we have in the body of Jesus. So we take a few minutes each Sunday, and during this time, we say, Yes, Jesus. You are holy. You are perfect. And you, O Lord, have walked with me in the doubt, in the sin. Even when I ran, you stayed. That's some of the stuff we think about when we take about when we take this each Lord's Day. And when the heat is on, you have been there. And you will always be there. And without you, none of this is necessary. That's what we say to Jesus every Sunday. 1 Corinthians 10 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break... Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. You know, throughout the world today, there are Christians who are suffering from anti-faith governments. In China, it is illegal to be a Christian who tells people about Jesus. And yet, in China, the underground church is growing Though their public worship has to be in secret, 
it seems like their Christian lives aren't. And so God's kingdom can't be stopped. No rule, no law, no institution, no government. There are brothers and sisters throughout the world, like us, right now, trying to figure out what it means to live in a place where it only is rejecting truth more and more. And like us, their hope is Jesus. It's Him. Because we share as one body. And we share one Lord. Under the same name of Jesus. Who is with us and through it all with us. Right there. The name of Jesus. And this name of Jesus. This guy. This God in the flesh. And that's who we celebrate. And so he came. And he lived, and he died, and he resurrected, and he is coming back one day. And he is worthy. And that's who we remember this morning. So God, we remember you. We remember you, Jesus, and we thank you. We thank you, God. Help your people scattered throughout the world. Empower us when we are afraid and weak and cowardly. Hold us back, God, when we want to lash out in anger. Correct us, God, when we're wrong and selfish. Teach us how to give truth and love. And Jesus, remind us we're not alone. (laughs) That you never give up on us. We remember you. Thank you for not forgetting us. In your name, amen.